deed is done. I've been in love with the same look for ages. Have you? Who's that? You, Charlie. The winner for Best Supporting Actress is Kate Winslet. Oh, goodness gracious me. Thank you, BAFTA, very much for this award. Most London's a big place. It's a very big place, Mr. Shadrach. A man could lose himself in Lose himself. Lose himself in the London. Just want you to be happy, that's all. I am happy. I love my life. Yeah, it can be tough at times, that's part of it, isn't it? I love my freedom. I'm a very lucky lady, I know that. Alright, there's nothing to rub it in. The most extraordinary, generous people on God's earth to have taken what is absolutely a Cinderella picture and awarded it this. It is absolutely extraordinary. BFI does a lot of really amazing work in, in film preservation and the prom promotion of, of British film. Organisations like the BFI that are there to promote British film and British film history. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 38 of the Filmotomy podcast. On um, this week's episode, we're going to be discussing British cinema, which is great because uh, as a Brit myself, I know what I'm talking about for once. I'm joined by a fellow Brit, Robin. Hi. Hi there. Also joined with me is uh, American. Ugh. Uh, what are you doing here? No, I'm joking. Hi, Rob. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're okay. You've got to pretend you're British. Last but not least, we're joined by our Australian cousin, Doug. <laughs> Hi, everyone. When we discuss British film, what what do we first think of when I when you hear the 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 words British cinema. Can I help you, sir? Cup of tea, please. We don't serve cups of tea, sir. Only pots. That's a teapots, not piss pots. Although we can always make exceptions. If you want a cup of tea, you must go to the cafe. With all the other riffraff, this is a cafe. Pot of tea, then. Smart Language. And a bit of cake. Or a bun. Bath bun, Chelsea bun, currant bun, honey bun, up your bum, fairy bun, seed cake, cherry cake, fruit cake, ginger cake, Eccles cake, tea cake, lemon cake, Swiss rolls, dinky rolls, jam sandwiches, macaroons, cheese straws, and scones. I'll just have the tea. Please. Please. Thank you. I don't have a great, uh, you know, wealth of knowledge on it, but I think of Stanley Kubrick because I think of him filming so many of of his so many of his films in England. I mean, I, you know, whatever, but in Barry Lyndon. And so, I mean, I think of him and, and you know, Clockwork Orange and Eyes Wide Shut and even Full Metal Jacket was filmed in England. So With Kubrick, apart from maybe Clockwork Orange and a few others, you don't mm. think of, like, Britain being represented, which I think is something else you need to think about. And that, so when you go look for a British film now, are you, are you looking for a British director like Christopher Nolan, who doesn't really make British films? Right. Apart from his last one, obviously. Or Sam Mendes is another good example. You know, are, mm. are you looking at British actors? Are you looking for Britain to be represented? And it, I think it's changed so much, and I'm going to talk about this a bit later. In the last 25 years, mm. it's almost un indefinable now, but it depends. You're looking at it from a filmmaking point of view. Definitely a very British director, and there's, there's many of them, but a lot of them don't work in Britain or didn't, you know, for a majority mm. of the time. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's a very good point. Doug, what about you? What do you think of when when you hear the words British film? I think it, it's interesting because it really runs a big breadth of, of titles from, you know, kind of silly 
comedies and things of like Monty Python. You think of something like the full Monty and four weddings and a funeral. And then there's also kind of like the real serious stuff, like the merchant ivory films. And, but then it's, it's also expanded out into British filmmakers, not necessarily making films that represent their country and their stories, but are still technically defined a British film because they're, you know, produced by a British studio. So it's kind of like, it's blurring that line now, you know, it's interesting, like, at the BAFTAs this year, the best British film went to three billboards outside Ebbing, mm-hmm. Missouri. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's that's not what you would necessarily consider a British film, but because yeah. it's coming from British filmmakers and was produced by, you know, financed by a British studio, it's, it's still mm. under that umbrella of British cinema. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when um, the Andrea Arnold film she made a couple of years ago won, I think it won, like, the, in, the independent British Best film, best actress. Uh, I forget the name of it now. American Honey. Like, similar American sort, Honey, yeah. similar mm. sort of thing. You know, English, English, uh, uh, British filmmaker, British bit of British money, but, but the film was about America essentially. Do you remember back in uh, 2014, you had like Gravity, Rush, yeah. Saving Mr. Banks, and Twelve Years a Slave. They were all sort of up for best picture at the Baftas, and they were all classed as British film. And the issue, the, the, the way it happens is you, the films are submitted to BAFTA to be sort of in the running. And then the producers can select if they consider it a British production. Mm. So if, like Doug was saying, if it's financed, you know, by British backers and it's British producers, uh, mostly a, a, a British cast, which those films were in a way, um, like even 12 Years a Slave, which is a very American story, had uh, British actors in it, you mm. know. So it is very hard, I think, nowadays to... If it's not really essentially based in Britain, you know, do are we just saying that then, you know, you can't have these... How do you define it? I mean, there's so many uh, great British directors who don't necessarily... I mean, Robin was talking about this a little bit. Um, Christopher Nolan's basically an American film director in my mind, even though he's British. Mm. Ridley mm. Scott has done... I mean, I'm sure he's done something in Britain, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Danny Boyle did Train Spotting, which I think that's actually Scotland. I don't think that's even Britain. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you <laughs> oh, have uh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's shy being Scottish! We're the lowest of the low, the scum of the fucking earth, the most wretched, miserable, servile, pathetic trash that was ever shined to civilization. Some people hate the English, I don't, they're just wankers. We, on the other hand, are colonized by wankers. If you were looking at that award, I would, I would think the criteria should really be, you know, what, what film best represents britain as a country if you're calling it best Hmm. british film it really should be something that's representing you know the actual country it's coming from whereas you know three billboards clearly doesn't regardless of it being made by british filmmakers or a british screenwriter or but you know it doesn't star anybody british so Hmm. it's and and it's and it's obviously set in in this in the u.s um where something like paddington 2 is obviously made in britain features london quite heavily you know and, it, and it's and it's a classic british character being portrayed on screen so it's kind mm. of like should should that not have kind of won by default or even something like darkest hour which is obviously featuring a very famous british figure 
yeah. as opposed to Three Billboards being a great movie, but not necessarily a great British movie. Mm. In terms of, like, when I think of British film, I, I, you know, I think of dealing with British culture, British society, issues happening, you know, with the, the country as a whole, you know, doesn't have to be based in, in England, you know, uh, it could be based in, you know, Scotland, Wales, you know, Northern Ireland, or, you know, other places of the Commonwealth. In terms of discussing the BFI, uh, you know, British Film Institution, and how they give a film a British status, they have, they class it as the film has a significant British creative involvement. Mm. So that's quite interesting. It's not essentially the film being about Britain or dealing with British issues, but about br- br- creative British involvement. So what does that mean? Okay. And, and <laughs> a, great, a great example, a recent film, a really, 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 really excellent film called Under the Shadow, which was by an Iranian filmmaker and had mm. an Iranian cast, and it, it was about you know Tehran. And that was a UK film. It was fin- financed heavily by the UK you know, and it won it won something at BAFTA, and it and it was shortlisted for the Academy Award for non English film as well. So that, that's like, I think that's as extreme as you're gonna go. But you know, the guy's British, he's Iranian, but he you know lives in England, whatever. But well, yeah, like that's the thing, though. Like uh, Britain as a society, as a country, is very multicultural. Mm. It, it, it is very much like part of who we are as a country is Mm. that we have all these different nationalities within our our, our country and so I don't think it's essentially there is just one thing that is a British citizen because we're all made up of different parts of things that's what makes it so wonderful is that we, we have such a diverse pool of talent and you said the, d- the definition was like significant contribution, but that is so vague. It, you know, <laughs> does it mean like sixty percent of the money was UK? Right? Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, sixty percent of the cast were UK. The director has been to the UK on holiday. That, that's, <laughs> you know, that, that's that, that, it's the same with football, isn't it? Like the disciple. You know, if, if Rob was a footballer, would he be like, "Oh, I'm going to play for America. Or am I going to play for Italy?" You know, you, you have the mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, I, I would hate to be like working for the BFI and having to do that because I, I can't decide anything. So <laughs> well, <laughs> that's be in, very hard. In culture in general, I think that um, you know the, the UK is really known for its. its I mean, through, throughout like throughout the latter part of the 20th century, especially with the you know uh, the sort of British invasion of the music. And then but, yeah, and then we get snatched up and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, right by America and yeah, <laughs> and it's like so long, bye. Yeah. <laughs> goodbye, Mindy Scott. Goodbye, John Barman. Goodbye, Sam Mendes. Goodbye, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, uh, of course, it's. It, I guess it's the same for Australia as well. You have like all oh, your, absolutely. Yeah, all that we, acting we, talent. That we've lost everybody. Oh. Five years for what you did. <laughs> We're stuck with Russell Crowe though. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can have uh, <laughs> <laughs> Careful now, we don't want any fro- uh, phones thrown at us. Do not forget my name. 
do not forget me. But see, yeah. we we had the same problem here that that during the week there was a a poll uh, released of the top twenty five Australian films of the twenty first century, and number one was Mad Max Fury Road. You know, I, as much as it's made by an Australian filmmaker and was filmed in Australia, it's not necessarily a film that you look at and say that's representing Australia as a country. So it's the same thing. It's like, is is that an Australian film? Or a, a couple of years ago, we had the the Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby win Best Film at the Australian Academy Awards, and again, it's like that's a, an American, a classic American novel. You know. A, with a predominantly American cast, but because mm-hmm. it was made by an Australian filmmaker and filmed in Sydney, it's classified an Australian film. Mm-hmm. So we we suffer the same kind of identity crisis of what we're considering Australian films. Yeah, we we obviously have uh, Pinewood Studios here, and mm-hmm. um, I I went on a Pinewood Studio tour back a few years ago to have a look around, and when I was while I was there, they had Kick-Ass 2 was being filmed there, which was kind of cool because we actually, I actually saw Chloe Barretts in the uh, in the queue for the canteen. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Hit Girl. Uh, so that was quite fun. She was, like, getting her baked beans. Do those films now class as, as a British film? As British. Mm. Because they're being filmed. In Britain, Star Wars is considered like uh, largely a British film because the most of it was filmed there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, but, what? You know. It wasn't filmed in space. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Well, I'd be damned. <laughs> Who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> so, back to the BFI's sort of definition of what a, a British film is. Um, each film has to go through a cultural test, which sounds a bit, uh, yeah, it sounds a bit sinister, actually, when you say it <laughs> yeah. like that. Hopefully this is, a, when they explain it, it won't be so scary. So a cultural test has the following criteria. You basically have to meet certain points and then reach a target and then your class as a British film. So the film must score 16 points. 16 points out of 31 to pass for example if the film is set in the uk four points uh, <laughs> ding! uh, uh if you lead sorry it's just ludicrous already but carry on <laughs> yeah yeah i know <laughs> um if if your lead characters are british another four points ding <laughs> If it's based on a British subject matter, you get six points. Wow. Oh. Whoa. Mm. <laughs> uh, now it gets, this is really ridiculous. If the dialogue is in, is mainly in English, you get six points. <laughs> oh. What? <laughs> wow. Yes. Uh, you can check this out, by the way, if you go onto the BFI like uh, website. Um, How does the the Netherlands not have a film industry then? (laughs) I don't know. Um, If the film demonstrates British creativity, heritage or diversity, four points. If 50% of the photography takes place in the UK, that's two points. And you get a point for uh, British director, British writer, producer, lead actors, you get a point for each. Well, okay, let's take three billboards, for example. 
Okay, the rules, they are the same as they've uh, been ever since Moses saw them carved on stone. So, uh, fingers on the buzzers, here's your first starter for ten. Was it set in the UK? No. No, no. Uh, was the lead at, uh, characters British? No. Nope. Based on a British subject matter? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> was the dialogue mainly in English? Yes. Does it demonstrate British creativity, heritage, or... It's written by a British person. Martin McDonough, yeah. 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 Mm. So, there's four points. You're up to ten points. <laughs> I'm not sure about the photography. Director? Yes. That's another point. Writer? Yes. That's another point. Right. Oh, I've lost count, but... Uh, I'm pretty sure we're probably... It's made, it's made it. A fantastic yeah. score. So, it's very easy. And I'm wondering whether it needs to change a little bit. And we should look forward to seeing you in the next stage of the contest. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Does the BFI, do they make up who decides the BAFTAs? In order for a film to go into the BAFTAs, they have to go through the BFI in a way I to see, get that, okay. that British status. The points seem a bit strange, don't they? Because it's like you, Christopher Nolan directs, right? Oh, there's a point. He writes as well. That's two points. Mm. I don't know. Uh, Hugh Grant's in it. Oh, that's three points. Carrie Mulligan, <laughs> four. Yeah. But that's it. It's set in space. Oh, <laughs> oh, but, no. oh but hang on. There's four, you know, there's a scene where they have a cup of tea. Four points. <laughs> you know, it's like... They have some fish and chips. <laughs> yeah. It's like all of a sudden. Eight points. <laughs> add, add a shot of a disgusting beach. Oh, it's a British film. <laughs> so, someone said, you know, someone talks about Brexit. There you go. Uh, that that That's two more points for you. Uh, yeah, it's it's bizarre. I don't quite understand it. Like the, the whole film set in the UK, four points. That should be a lot more points because it's yeah. like that, that. That should be the key criteria. Mm. Yeah, that, well, that it's actually yeah. predominantly takes place in at least the UK. Mm-hmm. I know, and the fact that the dialogue uh, is in English, you get six points for that. <laughs> but that's the same because you know most films are in English. That's, that's pretty much every American <laughs> film. Yeah, right. there we go. That's how you get. You know, gravity and the likes of. Um, well, uh, is is Alfonso Cuarón is he British? Is that why? Because I mean, Children of Men is I think considered mm-hmm. a British film. Well, he's um, a Mexican, good, isn't he? Good point, mm-hmm. though, Rob, because the BAFTA allowed him to be classed as British because he was living in London at the time. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's why. Okay. So. No, because I know he's like he's yeah, Hispanic <laughs> or Spanish yeah. or some. Yeah. You know, but. Well, that, but he, work, he, he works out of the UK. Yeah. 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 So basically, if any directors are thinking, oh, I, I really want to win a BAFTA, go live for London for six, yeah, six months, you know. It's okay. We're not going to. You don't, you don't even have to officially live there. Just pretend you're living there. <laughs> you don't, you don't right? need any British actors because they're only worth a point. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, just get Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell, you're laughing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Make sure it's in, in English, though, because that's where most of the points are. <laughs> oh, th- then I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's really strange isn't it i i don't but then what would be the best a better way of measuring a, a british film well when i talk about my list I'll, I'll tell you how i came i picked 100 films from the last 25 years and mm. then after like, i've got too many or too less how am i going to go about it and i started i want that in it i want that in it but not i'm going to take those out so I didn't have any criteria, I just started thinking, right, I'm going to do the last 25 years. I get a garbled message over the phone. I thought the hour was for London. <laughs> London something. <laughs> I never dreamed for a moment it was Alpha. Hi. This money you've raised, that's all from gays and lesbians. Mostly. Uh, truth told, you're the first gays I've ever met in my life. As far as you're aware. That's true. And you're the first minor I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to talk about the 60s, but the 60s were very British. They were very, yes. like, British, yeah. very British act- actors, very social films about Britain, set in Britain, like, like lower-class Britain as well. Oh, that, I mean, it's interesting when you think about the uh, history of British cinema and how it's evolved very much like we did actually have our sort of own mini studio system over here in the UK with Rank organisation. There was a, a, um, a gentleman called Arthur Rank who had, you know, had a studio sort of produced British films. A lot of them, I think, were, you know, during the war, those type of movies, yeah. like mm. the sort of. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but you know those sort of like, oh, went the day well those type of films yeah you know uh, mrs um M- Myva or M- yeah yes yeah so that really obviously the, the, there wasn't the american films really coming in i guess you know restrictions and, and and stuff so during that period and especially after world war ii had finished i think there was sort of uh, appetite for those type of films to be made. You get the whole the damn busters. The, the, to- those... the tough films, you know, the tough films where they're like, "Oh, good show, bravo." Yes, uh, I watched quite a lot of those as a kid uh, because they just always were on, like uh, on Channel Four or whatever. You would always have them on during the daytime, and some of them are quite bad. But then you've got some classics like uh, you know. Ice Cold and Alex, which is a great film. And then you get a period where the 50s sort of take over. And I think that's when, like, Hollywood was affected. You know, um, the British film was affected as a result. And But you get the kitchen sink drama coming out. Mm. That really helped. Like, like Robin was saying, like, the working class was now being represented because up until that point, I don't think really you saw much of the work, British working class on film. It's uh, really weird how we've come back to it that now. When we're mm, British, independent, mm. British independent cinema is, like, I think that's one of my favourite films. I didn't realise, you know, when you start listening to me, like, oh, these are all very sort of indie. And we're going, but not going back to the 60s, but we're, like, we're in people's homes again, you know, people with real issues and... Yeah, although some of them are very, like, they do get a little bit samey, I, I must admit, yeah, like, yeah. It, it's kind of, it all gets a bit too grim, you know, and it's just like, oh, God, not another, not another estate <laughs> drama where it's like a, a kid and he's, he gets in with a gang and he's actually a nice kid, really, but then stuff happens and 
you, you know, yeah. like the Shane Meadow type of film. Oh, and he's, uh, oh, he's dead. Oh. <laughs> but but it's but it's reality. People die on the streets. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It is. It, you got Mike Lee to thank for that, and you know Ken Loach and Michael Winterbottom. Mm. Not exactly um, uplifting. But... I thought that with with I Daniel Blake, it's such a. It's just a devastating movie. It's a, like it's something you never ever want to watch again because it's as great as it is and as as relevant and timely and 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 you know everything to the situation going on with lower class and unemployment. It's just it's such a a low film, especially the way it ends. It's just like oh gosh, I can't I can't sit through that again. All right, I've tried to explain to the woman. I've never been to Newcastle before. We've just moved up here from London. I've been here a few days. I don't know where I'm going. Okay. I was on the bus, it's gone the wrong way. We've run, got off the bus, run, so that wasn't any more late. She just doesn't want to know. She doesn't want to know. And now what she's I telling want, me she's what doing I want you to do. What I want you to do is listen to me, okay? The lady's told you what's right. There's rules here, rules that we have to stick to, okay? It isn't against you, but you oh, have mate, a duty. Listen, I'm not saying it's against you me. You have All a I'm duty is, to be here on time. And I'm explaining to you why I wasn't here on time. Do you know what? I got lost. I understand, right? But what I gather now is the decision maker. The decision maker's going to be sending you a letter through the post. You're going to have to wait for that, and then you're going yeah, to... Yeah, Nobody... my kids have got to start school tomorrow. I've right. got about 12 quid in my purse. Do you know what All I... because you can't just calm down and listen to people when they talk. Right. You all Again, have to do this. Do you know what? I've listened to you. You've created a scene. I think oh, you I've need... created a scene. No, mate, I, I I'm think creating... you need If I was going to build. create a scene, you'd know about it. You need to leave me. the building. I'm sorry, you're okay, you need to... Yeah. Oh, this is ridiculous. Jesus Christ! Who's first in this queue? I am. Do you mind if this young lass signs on first? No, no, you carry on. There you go. Now you can go back to your desk and let her sign on and do the job that the taxpayer pays you for. This is a bloody disgrace. Well, um, Robin, tell us about your list, because I'm quite intrigued now. <coughs> so I was just doing a list of 100 films, kind of like what people hadn't seen, but then I started adding films like you know, the Kubrick films, the um, Tom Courtney films from the 60s and Julie Christie, uh, and I thought, no, this is just everyone's seen these, you know, Red Shoes, Everyone's seen these films, so I started limiting it, and I started thinking about the last 25 years, how British cinema was kind of like costume drama, and that's all it was. Mm -hmm. But thank God for, you know, Merchant Ivory and Ruth Pala Shabala, I hope I've got that right, the writer, the three of them were like making the, churning out these, keeping the British film industry going, really. And I thought, I thought when, when I was at, like, college, and I remember how things changed with Danny Boyle, uh, Guy Ritchie, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. There's p- people like Stephen Frears as well who were still doing good stuff. There was there were those crossovers as well, Mike Lee. Um, but then you had well, Danny, but Richard Curtis who was doing the TV mm. stuff, you know, um, Blackadder, and he <laughs> fought them four weddings and a funeral, which is possibly the most important film of the nineties. That that are train spotting, you know, and then you had sort of the gangster films kicked in gangster number one lock stock and we started making good crime films and i just wanted to show that really that sort of 25 years how it's changed then we've got i won't won't go into every film but like joe wright he's brought like the the period drama back and he makes Mm. he makes really good he's got real good collaborators uh and then you've got all the social stuff you know the the to cover the ethnic side of how britain has changed East is East, Bend It Like Beckham, um, mm. Four Lions. Oh, Four Lions, that's such a funny film. I'd, I don't know if anyone outside the UK knows about it. So I just wanted to cover that, really. So I picked 100, and I said, like, 93 is my cut-off. I couldn't have, like, 
how it's end, devastated. But I, put, <laughs> but I started with In the Name of the Father, which which has a lot, mm. a lot about British his British history, British talent. Uh, the director, Jim Sheridan, has made one of my favourite films ever in America, um, which is in, set in America, but it's very British, it's about an Irish family. So I went through that, you know, Nick Park, but mm. animation, started making feature animation films. you got Lynn Ramsey and Andrea Arnold, who were... Yeah. We were up and coming, but now are like as relevant as ever. I think two of the best. Mm. Yes, yeah. Tom Hooper, who I'm not a big fan of. I've not got any Harry Potter films on there, but those that, t- that ten years of those films, or eleven years was it, was really really good for British cinema for talent. They are very quintessentially British, and even like something like James Bond it is, you know, a, a British film. You know, meeting all that criteria on on the the BFI's list, and yeah. that I, you know, we're really seeing sort of more. I don't know encouragement of of British film because I think for a long time it was sort of just like the period drama or the the bad campy comedy of Carry On. <laughs> that is a very big one you have there, is it not, Mister Woozy? reached a point in the 70s where it kind of fell off the radar but then I think in the 80s it began to come back do you know she's been showing me how to stick the pole up right yeah but we benefited from the from the Americans the Americans liked us they liked the actors we played mm. all the villains but the, mm. the beginning of the 80s if you look at the Oscar the Academy Awards you've got Chariots of Fire which you know one of the worst best picture winners ever but, <laughs> thank um, you <laughs> But then you had um, Richard Attenborough one as well. Yeah. And so it's like the British, you know, they were back. Uh, and we, we really were. Because Room of Review didn't win. Howard's End didn't win. Best Picture. You know, mm. films that maybe should or could have. A very weak time for for film, late 80s, early 90s. So I think the 80s, it felt like a revival. You're right about the 70s and the 50s. But the 90s, real turning point for film. Because we started exploring other genres and proved that we're good at it oh yeah i i I definitely agree i think really there was uh something happening in terms of like uh british music was obviously exploding as well uh you know it's kind it was almost like what happened in the 60s with like london becoming a hub of creativity the same sort of thing happened in the 90s yeah absolutely. very Mm. interesting how that happened so Doug, Doug and Rob, uh, mm-hmm. as two people who are not from the UK, do you have any, well, first off, favourite British films? A few a few um, of British crime movies that are actually some of my favourite crime movies overall are things like The Long Good Friday, mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins and Helen Mirren, Start Up, starring Jack O'Connell and Ben mm-hmm. Mendelsohn. The prison drama mm-hmm. is tremendous. Uh, and, you know, I, I like... Terence Davies, he's a British director, did Sunset Song, yeah. and uh, on the, list, the movie. On the list. He also did A Quiet Passion, a movie about Emily Dickinson, and it was actually a very good movie. I'm just surprised it didn't get any any mention last year. He's yeah, he's a filmmaker that I think is really really great. Um, and then you know, one of my favorite directors. I mean, I know he doesn't really make British films, but Christopher Nolan is just a tremendous filmmaker. So. Um, Sexy Beast by Jonathan Glazer, I think, is a great movie. Look at your fucking suntan, like leather. 
Like a leather man, your skin. You can make a fucking suitcase out of you, old all. You look like a crocodile, fat crocodile, fat bastard. You look like a fucking Edie Armin, you know what I mean? What about you, Doug? I think what my sort of first exposure to uh, British cinema was probably in the, the mid to early 90s as I was kind of starting to watch more and more films growing up. And it was so interesting to see the breadth of difference between, you know, you, you kind of had your, your great comedies like The Full Monty and Four Weddings and mm-hmm. a Funeral and um, I guess Train Spotting is kind of a, a comedy in some parts. <laughs> um, but then, and then still, still seeing those period dramas coming through like um, uh, Sense and Sensibility or The English Patient and um, Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love and seeing how the UK was still managing that, that modern take and then that classic take. And certainly in the last the last few years, there's still that still kind of happens because it's like you've got something like Atonement or Dunkirk, which is still dealing with period war stuff, and then you have some really great modern films as well. So it's uh, I, I'm not surprised that, that that every year we still see at least one or two British films nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. It's like that that it's it's a real requirement that there has to be that involvement because it's, it's, it's such a great film industry to ignore just seems ridiculous. And, and Americans can't, can't, can't help but nominate those sorts of films, whether they're kind of Oscar Beatty or not, like something like the English patient or Shakespeare in love was. Mm, yeah. I, and, and I want to echo that as well. The mid to late nineties, there seemed to be a lot of British cinema that I watched, uh, you know, the, the full Monty or Billy Elliot mm. I mean, something like The Boxer, even, with Daniel Day-Lewis, and um, I can't, I can never remember the actress's name, if it's, like, it's Emma, or Emily... Emily Watson. Emily Watson. Watson. Not Emma Watson, Emily Watson. <laughs> no, no, she's done nothing for the British film industry. <laughs> but even, um, even something like The Crying Game, like, I know that that, I don't know if that technically counts as British cinema, but was dealing with, kind of, the IRA and, and those issues, so... Um, I really like that as well. So there's a lot, it seemed, in the 90s that was coming out that was a very high quality. Mm. I think that, that they were the turning point as well. The, the Howard's End and The Crying Game, they both won the screenplay Oscars. Mm. And, that, and, that, and that never happens. Everyone was like, Neil Jordan. It was like a bit of a surprise. But I think that opened that opened the door a little bit to, to that type of film, you know, for, for Britain, you know, allowed... After that, yes, you can make you know, Shallow Grave, Danny Boyle, mm. which allowed him to make Trainspotting, which allowed someone like Guy Ritchie to you know, have, his, have his free reign on his gangster flick. I think as well, which is, is quite interesting, is obviously uh, the input from Film 4. I, you know, I really don't think the British film industry would have thrived as much as it did in, in the 90s if it hadn't been for Film 4. Because they were behind so many like classic films, you know, sexy, sexy beasts, my beautiful laundrette, uh, train spotting, and um, mm. working title as well were, were, mm. were massive. Uh, and obviously, with the guy, we're not going to that big, horrible, disgusting pig. But we're not going to mention, um, yeah. you know, helped in films like English Patient, Shakespeare in Love, very, very, very good films win win big at the Academy Awards. Which mm-hmm. also helped, you know. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's that's one thing we have to live with. Something that British uh, film directors can do quite well is they can sort of do a hybrid of genres. You know, like with take Shaun of the Dead for example. 
Just be nice if we could. Fuck. Spend a bit more time together. Bollocks. Just the two of us. Cock it. It's just with Ed here. It's no wonder I always bring my flatmates out, and then that only exacerbates things. What do you mean? Well, you guys hardly get on, do you? Now, what does exacerbate mean? It means, um, to make things worse. Right. It's just... Ed doesn't have too many friends. Can I get any of you cunts a drink? Uh, it's a great, like, comedy, but also has horror as well. And I think that's something that British film directors can do, is mix the two genres up. Yeah. You know, you were saying, like, with Trainspotting, it is kind of funny... But at the same time, it also had the, the grim social drama uh, going on as well. And I, I think we've continued that as well. We, you know, we've always had that sort of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't know whether it is a British thing, but it feels like a British thing for me. Well, it goes back to Shakespeare. I mean, really, if you want to talk, I mean, there, there is there is humor in his tragedies, you know. So and, it, mm. and I would say that the best, you know, the best um, art has both of those things in it is very funny but it's also quite tragic it's quite sad so you know do we have a favorite british director now this is going to, this is going to be difficult because you know uh they do have a tendency to disappear uh and go elsewhere um robin would you have a favorite british film director i, I like some of the some of the really old you know, um, John Schlesinger films, those those kind of, in the 60s, those directors that were making, but it's like, for me, it's, I don't really have one, it's the, I have maybe a batch of ten where they've all been the three great films, like even Danny Boyle, you know, Shallow Grave, Train Spotting, and Slumdog Millionaire, I don't care what anyone says, it, it, it is a great film. You know, he's he, that, that, I mean, that guy directed the opening ceremony of the Olympics in London as well, I mean, that guy knows what to do behind the camera to, to he knows what's coming so i love that but christopher nolan's up there for me you know regardless of whether he makes films about britain or not but he's he's a great filmmaker and hearing him talk about his 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 films and what he's intending to do it's i really it's just, it's just really admirable a couple of others i'll mention mike lee obviously uh stephen frears mm. if if the, the way i look at it is if i have to win the DVD collection of one director. <laughs> Stephen Frears, I don't think you could get a better... It's not my favourite, but his collection of films, the, the different genres, the different type of films he's done since like the late 80s, middle of the 80s, it's astonishing. If you look at his filmography, you'll, you'll find ten films you didn't know he did. Mm. So he's up there for me. And he's still making good films now. Yeah. What about uh, you, Doug? Um... Any British directors that have stood out to you? Obviously, all the ones that Robin has covered, I'd probably throw in a, a, a more recent one, Edgar Wright. Um, yeah. I think he's doing some really... Like, Baby Driver was just brilliant. Just his his mind and the way he had crafted that from, from, from the beginning with the music integrated in it, which I think a lot of British filmmakers know the importance of music. I don't know if that's because of you know, the the, uh, the music scene in the UK and they, they understand that, that film and, and and music go together so perfectly, but I, I find that such a British quality that they understand music really well as well as understanding film. I don't know. I don't know if this is a controversial one, but I, I, 
I don't know if, if you guys would de- technically consider Alfred Hitchcock to be a British director. He is yeah, born he is, in the, yeah. he's born in the UK, so yeah. I know I know he obviously predominantly worked in the US, and I think he had US citizenship eventually. But um, that's probably not someone you think synonymous with British cinema because he wasn't necessarily making British films. But like some of his earlier movies, weren't they in? Didn't they take place in Britain? Yeah, Fat Man Steps, Lady Vanishes. Yeah. Rebecca. Okay. They were, okay. they're, they're good British films, yeah, from like 40s, I think. 1930s, because I think Rebecca was, 30s, his, yeah. was his last film, like a UK-based film. The UK. Okay, okay. And, okay. and then he left for the US. But those okay. are, all, those like 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes are always coming back up on lists of greatest British films. So, yeah. even though he, you know, yes... Hitchcock had most of his career over in the States. He's, yeah. He still made, like, a Blackmail, which I think is his silent film or first mm. sound movie. That's obviously a very British film as well. So in that sort of uh, not late 1920s to mid-30s, he really had a period of... And he was making films for the rank organisation. Sorry, I'm such a geek. I, no, no, <laughs> it's, like, it's good, it's good. <laughs> I like it's it. an education for us all, I think. <laughs> oh, my film degree's coming into to use after all. Finally! Yay! All, all these podcasts, by the way, that Bianca chooses are based on modules of her studies. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's actually true. <laughs> No, One I... thing I want to quickly touch on, sorry, just to interrupt, is that Bob mentioned a couple of actors like uh, Emily Watson and uh, Michael Caine. Actors as well are probably equally as important mm. for the mm. British. Michael Caine, back, you, there's those films then, you know, that he made. Alfie, the Italian job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine, 70s into the 80s, you know, when he went with Woody Allen and things like that. And you've got Emily Watson, who's who's in so many good British films. If you go back twenty years, you yeah. know, there's you know, actors like that. Um Hugh Grant. Obviously. Yeah, Hugh Grant. Yeah. So these that these long actors with longevity, yeah. I mean Hugh Grant's still working, isn't he? Yeah. Whenever it does come around to the Oscar uh season it, there is always like you know, mostly uh, uh, the British actors getting recognised more Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. you know, uh we had obviously Gary Oldman win. Eddie um, Redmayne. Brendan Brendan Gleeson is it? Mm. He yeah. he's been around forever, but he's he he shows up with the same for the same filmmakers. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, a really really important uh, actress. I had another one. Oh, Sally Hawkins. I mean, mm. oh, yeah. when, when when is she going to get recognised? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. It's what ridiculous. is she going to have to do? Like sleep with a fish or something? <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, you have the most, you know, the, the best actor of all time. It seems Daniel Day Lewis, who's just ridiculous. I mean, yeah. he's, yeah. I mean, not not even just for British, but just one of the greatest actors out there. So we do have a, a way. I don't know what we do here, uh, <laughs> but we do have a way of producing some great talent. <laughs> well, you go back I, to I, someone like Laurence Olivier as well, who just, you know, brought Shakespearean acting to America and made it such a big deal over there as well. Yeah, like directed, the director and starred. Yeah, like so kind of like Kenneth Branagh did to some extent. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I think maybe because there is a lot of uh, theatre here, 
maybe mm. you know uh, uh, and classical class- training yes i think there has been a long tradition of theater and acting in in this country if you sort of trace it back you know to shakespearean times mm. and all very it's funny you say that <laughs> a lot a lot of the acting teachers at acting schools in australia are, are often british that they've they've mm. come over here and they're teaching that classical training here and then you've kind of seen that flow on now into the Australian actors now now taking on that classical training and then moving over to the States to make it there. Um, so we've kind of adopted your training schedule to our actors and then it's obviously mm-hmm. having a great impact because that's why you're seeing this huge influx of Australian actors in films now because they've got that classical training behind them as well. Uh, it, it just shows you that we're very good at uh, what we do, uh, especially playing villains. I don't know yeah. what, what's up with that. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Alan Rickman. I miss him. Yeah, I do want to mention Terry Gilliam uh, as a as a director that has been very impactful on me growing up. Especially, I watched Time Bandits and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, like yeah. probably you know dozens of times. So, I mean, those two movies are very uh, very influential on me growing up. And I mean, Carol Reed directed The Third Man, which mm. is one of the probably one of the best film noirs I've seen. Uh, I'm a bit surprised that no one's mentioned David Lean yet. Oh, I haven't mm. gotten to his movies yet. I'm about to start them for the British cinema um, portion for Filmati. But uh, yeah, I, I need to watch Bridge on the River Kwai and uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, mm. it's gonna. It, they're epic. And it is one of those films that when you think of, of British cinema, it is up there. Lawrence of Arabia have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best openings to any any film in, in cinematic mm. history. Passes to India right up to like the 80s when he was working. Yeah. He, he watches films and you're like, how big are his cameras and how big is the world? <laughs> you know, it's so, you know, when people say sweeping and epic, mm. he's, the, he's the guy that, mm. sort of, maybe not invented it, but he's the guy who ran with it. Yeah, mm. he, well, he, he clearly knew how to visualise things. Absolutely. And of yeah. course, the the BAFTA award is named after him, so we should mm. we should have we should mention him. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Legend, legend. So, moving on uh, to to wrap up everything, uh, I asked Twitter some interesting films that we haven't mentioned. So I, I did ask people, uh, what is your favourite British film, and what mm-hmm. makes the film British? So Samuel Hall said, uh, a matter of life and death. What makes it British is its hopefulness in the uh, face of unbeatable odds. And David uh, Niven uh, telling someone that they sound pretty just before he's about to die. What a gent. Brett Greer said, my favourite British film is probably A Clockwork Orange. And in terms of what makes a British film, he said, a British cast and class. Courtney Howard said, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, <laughs> Matthew Warden said, uh, he chose four, which, you know, <laughs> sneaky, he's not allowed to do that. Um, <laughs> but it's okay, he can bend, bend, bend it like Beckham, bend the rules. Um, nice. Thank you. Uh, he said, said his four films were If, uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, uh, The Lady Vanishes, and Dracula Has Riven from risen from the grave which i i don't I haven't actually heard of oh no one's mentioned it but obviously hammer films was was huge silver screen show said 
seeing things that only British people would get, like Summerfields, uh, <laughs> and then mentioned uh, Hot Fuzz, you know, <laughs> where they have the shootout in the in the Summerfields. Which yeah, is... yeah. Lastly, um, SDJ Meredith said, um, it's pretty confusing. Most British films that I think of are UK, US co-productions. Uh, any anything that you want to say, Robin? Um, well, uh, this will go out Friday, so I'm, my list that I've done, I'll make sure that's published on the same day. All the films on the list can be streamed on iTunes, so you know, let's get people watching them. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. You know, I recommend all 100, and you've probably seen about 20 of them. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> so you got 80 to watch. Yeah. In, uh, and we want reviews for all of them. Um, no, I'm joking. Yeah, I was talking to you, Bianca. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, bugger.